1: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park.
2: Hello everybody and welcome to a special episode of Analyzing Anfield slash Analyzing Everton. Um, It's a bit of a crossover episode this week considering the Merseyside Derby. So Analyzing Anfield listeners, I am your usual host Josh Williams. Analyzing Everton listeners, I'm, I'm joined by your usual host David
1: Hughes. How are you getting on mate? <laughs> yeah, it all good, mate. I'm um trying to adjust to this very unique episode that we've put together, but uh looking forward to it. I think it should be quite good, hopefully.
2: Yeah, we should probably give a shout towards Dave, to be honest, because he's, he's recording this during this time off. Um, we coped without you last week. Guy Clark was the standing. Uh a strong seven out of ten, I'd say, but <laughs> to have uh, Sadio Mani back on the side. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i don't know about that mate but i mean we're, we're both right footed so i'll i'll settle for that <laughs> <laughs> right so today anyway we are going to talk about the major
2: side derby it's going to be only a chat about the derby previewing it as, as best we can and then um, next week we will we will review it and look ahead to, to, to all the matches i'm not sure if we'll be doing an analyze everton show dave i'll leave that up to yourself I'll let yeah. you know if we win
1: or not. Yeah, I think we. Uh, we probably will do one. To be fair, for you know the Ever- Everton fans listening, we um, we probably will get one in just because even no matter what happens tomorrow, I would think it still it still doesn't change the fact that things are quite interest interesting at the moment from an Everton point of view. So um, yeah, we'll we'll touch base on that through the week. Me and Josh. Yeah, I mean, strangely, you
2: say there about the episode and, and whether, the, whether the week turns out well for Everton. It's funny that regardless of the results on Saturday afternoon, Everton are going to be above Liverpool regardless, I think, because I think the goal difference is plus seven and there's three points in the in, in the space. And so
1: I think that's a bit that's a bit mental, isn't it? When you think about it, it is. But, you know, I'm not tempting faith for the <laughs> an eight loss here. But yeah, no, it's, it's a very, uh, very unique set of circumstances um yeah you know, i'm i'm pretty sure there would have been derbies where everton in the premier league era where everton have been above liverpool but in terms of Everton, you know um leading the way top of the top of the table and I, I can't think of many examples of that in the premier league era anyway i know obviously we go back to the 80s and before then there'd be plenty of examples i'm sure but yeah it's just it's, it's a really interesting second set of circumstances this one
2: Right, so, first things first, then, how are you feeling, Dave? As a blue at the minute, must be confidence going into it, facing a team that have just lost 7-2. So, mm. how exactly are you <laughs> feeling at the moment? Nervous? Confidence?
1: It, it's a strange one, actually, because uh, I think what you say is correct. You know, you, you uh, under a different set of circumstances, you're coming up against a side who were well-beaten 7-2, uh, looked, looked miles off the pace in many ways, and you kind of think this is a good time to play them. But I think the obvious caveat for me with Liverpool is, you know, Liverpool have been a fantastic side for, you know, two years now, even a little bit longer. Um, I don't think you become a terrible side overnight. I think there's other factors that um, play into what happens at Villa Park. And I think what, what that'll do is almost hit a reset button a little bit with Liverpool and just kind of reignite a little bit more of a desire um maybe concentration levels so i think you'll, you'll you'll be coming up against a much tougher liverpool side than maybe the one that played at villa um so i wouldn't say i'm I, i'm very confident in coming up against this liverpool side but what i would say to counter that is you know you can't not be confident with this evans side at the moment because um the winning every week you know they've played seven games this season all competition won them all won them all convincingly is left as well which is key um so yeah i think i think there's you know there's more confidence there but i'm not in any way expecting to just go out and, and see everton destroy Liverpool. i think it's still going to be a really difficult game
2: yeah from my perspective i'm not really sure how i feel to be honest and um, i don't think i feel as relaxed as what? usual or as confidence as normal. But at the same time, I do have a lot of faith in this team, and I do, as you said, I, I expect I expect a reaction. I, I certainly don't think and like 7 2 will materialise again, thankfully. I think if that was going to happen against one team, I'm thankful it was against Aston Villa. Um either side of that, I think we played the likes of Chelsea, Arsenal, we've got Everton next. So if it happens against Villa, yeah, I can deal with that. Mm. But in terms of the long-lasting effects of what that can do to to a team, you know, it was a big loss. You know, the Liverpool have never conceded seven in the Premier League either. Biggest defeat. That Stoke game wasn't
1: it? Stoke. That was six-one, yeah. Oh, was it six? Um, Some reason I like thought seven. Um, no, that was six. It was as bad yeah. as seven. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, that, that, I think that signaled a bit of a waste time mm. when that happened. This is a bit more of a wake-up call, I feel. Mm. Um. But I don't think we even needed a wake-up call for this match, considering Everton, top of the league, the only team to win four out of four. I think Liverpool will have went, would have went into this match regardless with a bit of a focused head. Um, and when we have done that, we have really dominated. If you think of Arsenal, Chelsea, Leeds, three teams that we seem to get quite up for, and we we restricted them to six shots, five shots and four shots. That's and Liverpool on the on the attacking side took about twenty themselves. So mm. we we have dominated when we've turned up, but against Villa we we really didn't. Um, mm. there's obviously squad details that we'll have to get to. We'll get to the Allison thing, but thankfully Tiago's back. Thankfully Mane's back. Mm. Um, but in, <laughs> in terms of the numbers anyway, should we start with Everton? Just in terms of like, I mean, it's only four matches in isn't it? nipple. Yeah
1: how they're looking on the numbers side. Yeah. Yeah, we should. Um, I mean, I should point out that you've done a lot of number work on, the, on this year. So I feel like I'm taking well, credit on. for it. <laughs>
0: Although
1: I have yeah, been... I, <laughs> I was about to say, I suppose I have, I have kind of not been in. Um, but yeah, Everton joint most goals with 12 so far this season. you rank fourth uh, for XG per 90. Eighth for shots per 90. Um, I mean, there's no doubt. We, we talked about this a lot on the... It's interesting this because we've got kind of half listeners from one show and half from another, but we've talked a lot about how many clinical chances they've been creating Everton. Um, second best XG per shot, only conceded uh, five goals and they've got the best expected goals against, per 90 as well. Uh, and the best XG difference of 0.57. Um, so, I mean, sorry, 5.7. But yeah, it, it is interesting because... I've seen a lot of caveats when I talked about Everton, saying that they haven't really, they haven't really um, played anyone. But you know, they're all deserving wins, and they are against decent sides. You know, if you think of, if you think of Tottenham, that's a top six side under Mourinho, away from home, and he did deservedly won. Okay, it was only one nil, but you know, they did, they did better Tottenham on the day. Uh, that was a tough game and people kind of thought, well, this Tottenham aren't going to be that good this season, but if you look at the results since, uh, you know, United 6-1 dominance, I think they had a 7-2 game somewhere in the Europa League, um, I think they knocked out Chelsea, didn't they, at home in the League Cup, they drew 1-1 with Newcastle, but absolutely destroyed them on the day, it should have been about a 3-4-0 or 4-0 win, but, you know, things just didn't seem to go the way, went, went and won Southampton 5-2, so, you no, know, Tottenham have been a decent side, that looked a good win. West Brom at home, you think, yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, you know, newly promoted sides. But even they looked a bit dangerous in the attack, and I thought there was moments where Everton bounced back fairly well. Um Palace away, you know, they, they just won two back to back start of the season, one at Old Trafford three one. You go to Sellers Park win. And then even in between that, Josh, there's the League Cup game against West Ham who, again, you know, people kind of rolled their eyes a little bit at West Ham, but West Ham have low-key being a decent side, and, you know, to go they they won at at the King Power against Leicester, didn't they, just before the international break? So, again, they're not really a pushover. There's decent sides in there. Okay, there isn't a Liverpool and a City, but, no, I wouldn't say they've just been givens.
2: No, I wouldn't say that. And I think uh, the matches that Everton Everton have played, I think that... They're all different teams as well. They're all different types of teams. I think you've, you've got to demonstrate a different way of winning against a Palace compared to a Brighton, compared to a Spurs. So the fact that Everton have come out with four wins suggests that maybe they're a little bit more adaptable than normal. I do mm. think it's a different game when you play Liverpool or City. I think maybe then you are... Re- like, he against like Spurs, away from home, I recall Everton... I don't know what the possession stats were, I'll get that up in a sec, but it, it, I recall it being vaguely 50-50 maybe, um, certainly towards the end of the game when you'd expect Spurs to be trying to get it back into it, Everton were, was just playing with the ball and Spurs couldn't get near them, the press was mm. completely disjointed and stuff like that, so I think this might be a game whereby Everton have to play a bit of a counter second game, um, I mean can you recall much of that being done so far this season, maybe against Brighton?
1: um not yeah, brighton was a bit brighton was a bit of a bizarre game um and i, I don't I, I don't recall it being in fact if we bring up i've just got something to hand that'll bring up the possession numbers on that it's not our usual provider but let's have a look um let's have a look. so yeah it was it was forty three fifty seven. so you know marginally in brighton's favour but it just felt like heaven with a little bit more purpose Push full with the ball whereas obviously Brighton tend to look after but yeah I do I was thinking about this before the show and I, it will be interesting to see how Ancelotti approaches the game because I, I imagine a lot of people want him to see him you know go out and attack Liverpool but I don't know I, I feel like that it's a dangerous trash. Surely
2: surely you would have to follow the, the Villa game plan mm-hmm. after a 7-2 loss to the the, the, the current holders it was a perfect match from the Villa perspective, mm. you know, three deflections, a set piece and a gift from Asian inside five minutes. But at the same time, it did cause Liverpool a lot of problems and considered an anti tactical side and all that sort of stuff. Surely he's got to look at that as a template.
1: Yeah, yeah, I imagine so. He, you know, he, he, he probably will, but it's just... I don't know. It, it will lightness strike twice. I, I don't know. It's hard. I think it's really difficult because what, what I'm thinking of, I think of last season, and okay, the Anfield game was under silver, wasn't it? Um, Evan played a high line, didn't press hard enough on the ball and got done low quite a fair bit. You know, maybe like three of the goals on the night were just balls over the top. Then you fast forward to the Goodison game, um, which okay, there was different circumstances there. It was just after lockdown, first game back, but Everton sat it sat in, completely changed the tactics and Virtually nullify Liverpool, but didn't have a ton uh in attack themselves. So I just wonder where he's gonna go from those. There's two ends of the spectrum. I wonder where Ancelotti's kind of pin is gonna stop on on there and how he's gonna approach the game. I just think it's gonna be quite interesting because I think if you go too too much at Liverpool, they can still really punish you. But then I still think there's gonna be, given how they've played, how they've started the season, I think there's gonna be ambition to try and actually win the game. Um, which yeah. teams don't always seem to do against Liverpool do. They, they quite often set up to draw or even just avoid a heavy defeat. Um, I don't think Everton will do that.
2: Yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> we'll wind up back a touch to the the shots paying 90 that Everton are posting because I think it's interesting that they're actually eighth. Mm. That. Um, but one of the reasons that the eighth, despite being fourth for expected goals paying 90, it's because, as you said, they seem to be quite good this season at generating clear good chances. So despite being eighth for the sh- on the shot count, the-, the shots that Everton are generating seem to be quite valuable. Um, right. If you look at the shot count for all four matches, Everton seems to be generating at least at least two big chances a match, you know, with big chances having generally high XG values and stuff like that. I think most of Lewin's goals have been in and around the penalty spot, just mm. tap-ins, really. Good tap-ins, but nevertheless, tap-ins. Um, so I think from a Liverpool perspective, looking at Everton and what the potential threat is, they, they do seem to be, this season especially, generating chances in and around in and around the opposing goal. Mm. Um That tends to be quite difficult to do against Liverpool. It wasn't against Villa, um, and teams may be a break in this, this cat, this high risk defending that Liverpool are doing, you know, with the whole offside, so at the high line. Teams are getting in maybe once a game, twice a game. Mm-hmm. You, you you maybe think that if if they did do that with Calvert Lewin and the form he's in, up against an Asian, you'd probably bag him to score. To be
1: honest, um, it just feels yeah.
2: like, it feels very finely poised.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's different. I think what Evan have been doing really well so far is they've been, um, as you've just touched on, creating really clear good chances, getting cutbacks into the penalty area or crosses into the box in really good locations. Now, if um, maybe we'll try and share them on social media later because we haven't had the opportunity to do it on the pod today, but there's really good shot maps on Everton. You know, a lot of Everton's goals are coming from in around the six-yard box and penalty area. Um, I'm still not convinced how I'd feel. I feel like Liverpool seem to concede a lot of chances with kind of, not, not, not a lot, but you're talking about maybe one or two a game. They seem to be when the offside trap has been beat um, and you threw in on goal and creating like a bit of a 1v1 situation. I'm still not sure if that's maybe Calvert-Lewin's strongest kind of attacking moments. I feel like he's someone who's become quite dangerous in the penalty area to get on the end of passes and crosses. Um so I feel like Everton's best bet is to try and still you know, build something if they can in the attacking third and work the ball into the box as opposed to just doing one of the side teams do we do, which is trying to beat the offside trap and getting the player through and on goal. Um, yeah, I mean,
2: from a Liverpool spe- perspective, I, I sent a newsletter out on this yesterday, but if there's any Reds out there wondering about Everton's form, you know, just the top of the table, four wins out of four, they look good. Sometimes the numbers that we we can provide context towards um, can kind of paint a negative future. Um, sometimes you can kind of like look into a side that are doing well and the numbers kind of suggest that that's going to regress sometime soon. But the newsletter I sent out yesterday was just simply called, I think it was called, um, Are Everton Definitely Good? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I, did, I did read it,
1: to be fair yeah do you think i was fair i think the basic answer yeah 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 i think it's every you know the the the, the performances um the underlying numbers back up what we've seen results wise basically where the point i think you're alluding to is often you can see results coming in without the performances and that's normally an indicator that at some point the results are going to start falling off a cliff a little bit but as it seems with Everton right now that doesn't seem to be the case it's just the obvious caveat of let's see how they'll do against maybe a few top five sides on the rumble yeah then you know as josh says and do check out the news. newsletter if you are a Liverpool fan it's uh i think it summarizes everything quite well so far actually
2: yeah i mean just just a few of the, the basic points from it that some of them have already mentioned but fourth on the table for expected goals per 90. top for expected goals against per 90 which we haven't even touched on the defensive side yet but they clearly seem capable in defense 53 shots taken, 35 faced. Um, and obviously, according to XG per shot, the shots that Everton generate tend to be, I think it was exactly double um, the XG of the shots that they typically face. So it's just all good signs. I touched on with J- James Rodriguez a little bit, um, who we're going to have to address. But from the Liverpool side, um, the numbers look equally good. I mean, I had to look at understats, the expected points table, and the expected points table on understats has got Everton top with Liverpool second. Um, So you could you could argue that on the performance side, I mean, Liverpool have got a bit of an anomaly in there that we need to keep bringing up, but mm. they are the two best performance teams in the league so far, probably, Liverpool and Everton. Mm. Liverpool have scored 11, conceded 11, Seven in a, in a
1: single match. I have mentioned it too many times, haven't I? <laughs> I think the, the thing is though, it's it that's the type of thing that could be phased out or not be so prominent over, you know, twenty plus games, but because it's only four games, it, it does have a huge impact, doesn't it, on yeah, things?
2: It has, it has murdered the numbers to be honest. I mean, <laughs> last, last season, Southampton, I think they lost nine nil, didn't they against against Leicester and mm. that completely murdered their numbers for the whole season. Really, yeah. They never really recovered from it yeah. in terms of how they looked on the performance side. Mm-hmm. Not not yeah. so much the table, but um, Liverpool are actually top for XGP 90, though. I think the attack has been decent. Even against Villa, we scored two, and we mm-hmm. looked quite threatening. Um, so it's, it's, I suppose you could kind of portray that as it's the best attack against the best defence so mm-hmm. far. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a result of the, the calamity at Villa Park, expected goals per ninety against Liverpool in near the other bottom. I think they were bottom five, but again it's four games in, you can't really look ahead too much with that sort of thing. Mm. Um two four three three systems as well. There's a little note that I've put down. I think everyone mm. I'd inclined to retreat into a four five one without the ball. Mm. I think we'll see quite a bit of considering Liverpool should should dominate possession, I'd expect at least. Um have yeah, 4-3-3 systems that work differently
1: yeah that, well that's it it's it is quite interesting because i think these two two four three three systems are good examples of how they can differ you know the they both pro- provide the same thing but the mechanics are different um evan play with a traditional number nine in calvert lewin and he provides like their main goal threat through the middle um but then you look at liverpool's and they have a they do have a number nine but he plays more like basically a number 10 doesn't he and their main goal threat is is, you know, coming through the perceived kind of brackets wide forwards. Um and then in terms of, you know, we talked about Firmino being like Liverpool's number ten. Well, Evan Evans number ten is basically the right side of the attacker. You know, James Rodriguez. He Yeah, I was gonna say he, that. Yeah, these um well I'll let you allude to it, I'll let you elaborate further, but yeah, he's basically the player who kind of drifts all around the attack really although he starts on the right he comes centrally go even goes to the left and he's kind of evidence number 10. yeah i mean if you look at the, the two four three threes on paper
2: there's not that much difference but then it's almost as though Firmino ends up in the position that harris rodriguez ends up in mm. and calvert lewin ends up in the position that maybe mo salah ends up in. yeah, yeah. so it is a bit of a you know, a different dynamic, it's, we, we speak quite often about, you know, I did the Q&A last week and I think someone asked about having a different, a plan B and all this sort of stuff for, for different opponents, but that's, I think that's, that's looking at the whole concept of a formation and a, and a 4 a bit too black and white for me, I think despite the 4 3 your four three three can work very, very differently depending on the players that you've got on a pitch and depending mm. on you know who who moves away and who's a bit more offensive than normal and all that sort of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. but you touched on you Rodriguez there. I'll be honest, from a Liverpool perspective, I am a bit concerned about the about the dynamic he adds, specifically the the switch of play he seems to be so keen on. Um, because I know the how I know how Liverpool defend. It's quite zonal. It's focused on space. So say for example if James has the ball on the you know, the right side of the pitch, Liverpool will shuffle over. Mm. That's just how Liverpool defend. And if he's inclined to switch the play, I've just got kind of a, a, a picture in my head of him switching the play to Richarlison with Dienyay overlapping and Trent having to manage two plays. That's what I've got on
1: yet Josh, is this a picture or a nightmare that you're having? Here? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well it's something I've actually seen happen earlier in the season to mm. Matt Doherty. Mm. Um and you could argue Matt Doherty's a bit similar to Trent in terms of his defensive side being a little bit a little bit more redundant than his attacking side, maybe. Um mm. but it's it it's just something that Everton didn't maybe have in the past that switch of play, and I think Villa used that switch quite frequently. Dean Smith mentioned it in his post match. I think Garilly's played a few of them. It it does work. It, I think it resulted in Ross Bartley having a chance against Liverpool last week. He missed ever so slightly. But those switches of play do work against Liverpool. Um and Hamid seems to be to be an advocate of them.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've talked on, on, on this show, and well, both shows are early, but more this one about the the kind of double jeopardy, you know, having like a different ways to, to hurt you. And I think James Rodriguez at Everton can do that. You know, I had a quick look at just on the switch passes alone and he's made the joint highest number of switch passes in the Premier League so far this season with 24. I think that's with John Joe Shelby. And then next on the list is... Trent Alexander-Arnold with 19. And he's, you know, obviously someone that we see that do a fair bit, but it just shows how often he will switch the ball over. But then, you know, the thing that Rodriguez has on top of that, that maybe the likes of a Shelby doesn't, is if if you cut off that switch or the switch is you know, on on for whatever reason, he can then hit you with the ball. Um, I mentioned you know, just before that I, I kind of had a little break from from where I can Twitter, I put the tweet out and it, it, it pointed out that James Rodriguez has directly contributed to, to eight of Evans' 12 league goals um, so far this season. And what that included was, you know, the, either scoring the goal, um, assisting the goal or the pass that leads to the assist, you know, the shot contributing contributing action as a FB ref would, would call it. Um, but, you know, eight, the their 12 goals this season have pretty much directly come through him so you've either got someone who can hit you with the ball or you can put the ball on the opposite side of the pitch where the space is to to potentially punish you there as well
2: yeah i mean just just on that you mean you mentioned the um the fbv numbers there i actually used the shot creating actions metric in the newsletter yesterday so, this season, we're not looking at pair 90 yet because we've, you know, we're four games in. Mm. So, this season, the, the player who's had the most shot creating actions in the league is Salah on 28, then De Bruyne on 27. And then in third place is Hames Rodriguez on 22. And for those that didn't check the newsletter, a shot creating action is just it just covers the, t- the two offensive actions directly leading to a shot, such as passes, dribbles, drawing fouls. So, these players are just heavily heavily influenced in goal. And I think an interesting dynamic that I've wrote about this week for the match is you, you have Jamez, who's Everton's most creative player for me, on the side that Liverpool are the most defensively secure. You know, you've got Van Dyke over there, you've got Sadio Mane, who sacks back more than Salah does. And you've got Andy Robertson. And you've also got Genie Weinaldom as well, will probably be over there, who's you know, a bit more of a security-based, protective player mm. as opposed to a player whose adventure isn't going to get forward. But at the same time, on the opposite side, you have a bit more penetration on the Everton side in terms of Dean and Richarlison. Probably a bit more, probably a bit more likely to conclude a move than James'. Mm. I think James' is more inclined to construct a move. Um, and you've got them operating on Liverpool's arguably weakest side. You know, you've got Joe Gomez over there who was bad against Villa. Trent, who's a little bit vulnerable on the defensive side, Salah, who tracks back, le- tracks back less. So it, it really is an interesting tactical dynamic in terms mm. of, you know, the left versus the right, whether Liverpool do actually cover Hamers' side or whether that makes them vulnerable to the opposite side, you know, all that sort of stuff. You've got any thoughts mm. on that?
1: Yeah, but that—I mean—that's—that's—that's that's, that's the kind of beauty of Everton's design. I think so far that it's—it's—it's it's really, really hard to defend against because I think if—if if it was a case of if Rodriguez was just a really good, um, say, I don't want to do uh, Alexander Arnold with the service because I think in terms of his dead ball delivery or even you know just deliveries in general, he's—he's—he's he's, he's arguably un- unrivaled in my opinion, but. Um I don't know if he can maybe make stuff happen on the ball as much as say Rodriguez can't in that kind of attacking third. And Liverpool fans will be screaming at me now, but I just think <laughs> certainly in the certainly shall we I'm talking about this season in the form that both players are in at the moment. I don't think Alexander Arnold's really kind of got going just yet. I think that'll come, but maybe not yet. So I think his kind of threat maybe is you know getting switching the ball over to the opposite side and That's what the team's got to be aware of, but I think it's certainly with Rodriguez at the moment. What do you do with him? Because if you kind of maintain protection on the right side, I do think he can hit you. You know, we we know he can hit a ball. He's cutting in onto his onto his favourite foot in terms of shooting opportunities. So it's it's really difficult. I'm not sure how you deal with him because if you leave him, if you give him too much space, I think he punishes you. You know, if you do want to protect that opposite side. But as you said, if you kind of shuffle over to close him down, I think he's got enough ability to create enough space to do a switched pass. So I'm not really sure how... I'm glad I'm not, you know, I'm not Klopp, who's kind of design on how that's going to be nullified because I think it's a difficult one.
2: Yeah, it is. He's a difficult player to deal with. Um, mm. I am confident in, in, in saying that. Like, you, you could argue really that... If he has a quiet game, Everton probably have a quiet game and attack. I think he's doing a lot for Everton's attack. Mm. Um I've 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 likened his his impact to um Fernandez at United. In mm. terms of just just providing that it's it's to, just that, that high risk passer who's kind of um feeding the fast players ahead of him, mm. like with and Calvert Lewin, he's kind of putting the ball on a play for him. I think Fernandez is a bit more Set piece based. Whereas James is a bit more dangerous an open play. I think, mm-hmm. uh, but I think I, I do think Liverpool will be well aware of it, and I think it will be okay. interesting to see whether, I mean, Liverpool have typically not been that much, that that like that really in the past in terms of really adjusting your system purely to to compensate for the, the real threat of an, of an opposing player. Mm-hmm. Of course, doing it against PSG for Mbappe. Andy Robertson obviously goes forward quite frequently and I remember against PSG at home we he he deliberately stayed deeper a lot more because Mbappe is just really fast basically. Mm. Um so it'll be interesting to see whether we come up with anything.
1: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
2: On, on the Everton side, you know, I've, I've obviously expressed my concerns there regarding mm. potential um, ways Liverpool can be exploited. Looking at Everton's team, have you got any concerns of, of how Liverpool can get at Evan?
1: Yeah, I think, to be honest, although the defensive numbers are really good so far, I'm con- I am concerned about Everton's, ironically, Everton's right side of their defence. Um if you have time to look at the shot locations of where they can see conceding shot from a lot of teams to come from that side. Um I think Coleman is kind of putting in a good shift going forward again, but I think there is a little bit of a although we played really well against Liverpool the last time, two teams Mets, I still think there's a vulnerability there. And I also think, you know, Mean has been playing there as well. And Mean's just Is he fit, at the it? We don't know. It's it's not quite clear. Um, I can't even think he would come in his place, but we don't know for sure yet because he, I, he did go away on in international duty. I think he, he he felt felt something, so he didn't play in the last game. We'll have to wait and see. But, yeah, I think it's just... Me and his defensive capability sometimes leave a lot to be desired. He seems a very... Um, how can I put this? Unusual defender. No, if you can't... <laughs> If you kind of think of defenders, you think of body on the line, throwing everything at the ball to stop it, you know, lead to goals and thing. And I look at we Everton conceded a free kick against West Brom, where he kind of, I don't know if he, he, he opts not to jump in the wall or even duck, but as a centre-back, it's not what you'd expect. And it obviously leads straight to it, goes into the back of the net. Um, in that same game, he, he, he basically backs off the attacker from inside, their own half all the way to the edge of the Everton box, and then that leads to a goal. He's just he's very unusual, and I think I don't think he likes you know mayhem around him. And I think if you think of Manet coming at you with pace cutting in, um, I think that could be a problem. And that's the side where Everton seems to be conceding the most shots. And then you know, if you're conceding shots, you want to be relying on your goalkeeper, then you know, Pickford's. Not keeping much out at the moment, he's already conceded two from outside the box so far this season. Um, so I think that's definitely something I'd be concerned about, especially with Mane coming back in who had to watch the 7 2 from the sidelines last time. I think I think you're going to get the best version of Mane as well in this game, yeah. Yeah, that is Sadio
2: Mane's side, isn't it? That's mm. what you've just said there, Coleman and Mina. Um, and I think Mane has got quite a good record as well in 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 major side derbies
1: mm,
2: yeah it, as well i think he decided one very
1: late on yeah he's um he seems to be in this in this fixture that some of clock always still wants to lean on you know even when he makes changes i think of the yeah, yeah. the five two game last season at Anfield. i'm pretty sure marnie still played that game even though other, yeah, other players did. come in didn't he and i think he's someone that he, he's obviously um earned Klopp's trust in this game and even when things do need to be changed I think he'll be the player that he, he still looks for in this fixture so uh, yeah, that's the side I'm concerned about plus there's, there's still the issue of there's not a ton of pace in um, in Everton's back line you know, there's and if, if Everton do start pushing a little bit higher up the pitch I, I am concerned about you know players getting in behind because Mina and Keane both aren't very quick um, I think that could be a concern as well
2: Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned there about about Pickford. We're gonna have to talk about it. We're gonna have to talk about the two goalkeepers. Yeah. Um, Now I wrote another. I wrote quite a few pieces this week. If you haven't guessed, but one 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 that I wrote earlier in the week was just like This is two, according to numbers, at least. Two fairly high performing teams. We I said earlier that, you know, this is arguably the two best performing teams in the league at the minute. First and second in the league according to understat's expected points table. But this is where a goalkeeper comes in because mm. your goalkeeper, no matter how good your performance is, your goalkeeper can undo all that work in an instant. If he's error prone or if he's incapable of saving a very average shot or if he's erratic or or whatever and i think both keepers are mm. um i i don't know who's more worried out of mean, you probably me. <laughs> Pro- probably me i i think in the, i've said before i don't think he's good mate i think he's yeah uh, like, i can say like
1: yeah no i'm really happy about this because i remember last year obviously we've been doing our lives on feel for a while now and last year everybody was like really raving about Adrian, because he'd he done quite well in the Super Cup and things, like, you know, save, penalty, shoot-off. And I've never liked him. I've never rated him. I don't know why he was... I and mean, I understand he's, he had to be a a can't pool needed that someone else to come in as a backup keeper, but due to Alisson obviously picking up a fair few injuries by his standards anyway over the last, what, year and a bit, he's played so much, and I think he's been found out a little bit. Um, I don't rate him, but I also, at the moment, I don't rate Pickford either. Um, I haven't for a while, I'm being honest, I try and I try and choose my words wisely with Pickford because I think he gets that much stick that it borders on like um, something a bit more sinister. So I try to keep myself away from that side of things. But I have to call it how it is, and I don't rate him. Uh, I think the numbers back up how poor he's been. And you made a really good point there, Josh, about how you can you, you can only really be as good as your keeper. Um, I'm sure you'll touch about on, on some of the Adrian examples shortly but even this season I think I think of you know our Pickford's kind of done that for Everton There's, you know conceded the goal early on against West Brom it's quite starting the game quite well where it was a bit of a it was, I think it was from outside the box that was the one where Mina lets him run the length of the Everton half and then he just kind of flaps at it um, if you think of Brighton I thought Everton were dominant against Brighton in the first half um, and then he just Completely messes up the ball into the box, and suddenly brighten the back into in, back in the game. And the, the, although Everton managed to get it a second just before half time, I think that you can see the change of the the game complexion almost, where you know one scene goes from like going through the motions, dominating with ease, to kind of looking a little bit nervous. Um, I think Pickford has done that a few times already to Everton, and a few times over the last year and a bit. Um, and I, this is also a really highly emotive game, and he doesn't deal well with highly emotive games.
2: Well, neither does Aiden. I mean, yeah. when, when we faced Atletico Madrid in the Champions League, he was an absolute bag of nerves from, mm. from the moment of kickoff. Um, he had very, very little to do because Liverpool played so well. And whenever he was called into action, the ball had like bounced off his knee or it. it, it he just—you could just tell a mile off. He, he didn't want to be used. Didn't want to be called into action whatsoever. Mm. Please try and win without me. Sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um. After a hundred and like ten minutes of football or something, Liverpool had done enough. Got the got the lead, I think, or or, or whatever. I can't really remember the match. I've done. I've done what I can to forget it. To be honest. <laughs> um, and after Liverpool doing enough, I just recall him doing something absolutely mad giving the ball away to might have been morata or or larence it might have been and i and he he scored, and it was just mm. it was depressing and it happened again five minutes later
1: yeah um, it does kill you you know we we, we yeah we laugh about it and we're, we're kind of laughing now but it's 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 really unnerving as well for the a defense you know because there's no confidence for what's going on behind you and you really need that confidence to do well, you know, because it, it breeds confidence within defenders themselves and you know that things will be dealt with. But when it come, when when it's not there, there's a tendency to overthink actions that you do kind of snapshot, you know, should I clear this, should or not? Is he going to come out behind me? And it just creates a, an unnecessary kind of layer of almost panic across the, the back five. And I think Everton have definitely lost faith now in... In pickford uh from an everton point of view i think Ancelotti's tried to support him you No, know, they haven't brought in the keeper again but you know they did make inquiries on the last day of the transfer window which tells you all you need to know really um i think he's had public backing a few times pickford by different managers and he still looks miles off it so he's definitely going to be something that can be targeted I yeah. said I'm just it's just a good thing that, you know, there's almost a carbon copy at the end of the pitch and yeah, well that I suppose that
2: almost makes you fair in a way. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um but yeah,
2: I, I think I think as he initially in his Liverpool career profited from moments that kind mm. of lifted his is lifted his um w- what the perception was on him. I think he, he won the penalty shootouts in the super cup. Um funnily enough he was against Kepe the opposite side <laughs> um, and when he came into the premier league matches he was not great but liverpool kept winning so mm. because liverpool kept winning nobody focused on on what he was doing wrong or or whatever don't get me wrong inside the, in there there's been the odd good save but every keeper does that i mean that's that's to be
1: expected Mate, I, I said on another podcast about uh, two weeks ago, talking about Pickford, and I said, you know, people kind of point out the saves he makes, and just to be clear, Pickford has never stopped making good saves, but the problem is, you you concede soft goals in the same game, so it it just basically wipes Cancel. out, and, yeah, cancels out any good work, and I think Adrian is the same. Like, didn't he pull off a decent save in a one v one against, was it Watkins against Villa? Which I think we yeah,
2: saved was, just feet. Yeah, I, I recall a really good save in the Villa game. But mm-hmm. then, those who will give him credit for that maybe will forget that inside five minutes, he gave him the ball. Yeah, And really, he, he completely, he was the reason, but he wasn't the reason. I completely get rid of that. He was not the reason. Liverpool were mm-hmm. bad. But I think he, it, it stemmed, if you like, from an early mistake five minutes in. Hmm. You know, he he, he 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 was responsible certainly for the first goal. Where he he gives the ball away, yeah, with a bad pass and stuff like that. Liverpool conceded seven. It was a bad day, but I don't think I'm fairly confident. If Alisson was in goal, Liverpool don't concede seven, seven no. goals, mate.
1: No, just I agree. I'm well, um, just go gonna say, have you had a look at the the save percentages recently of the two?
2: Yeah, well, I've, I've got a few numbers here from a piece that I wrote after. I wrote it over a week ago, but Liverpool haven't played since. So, yeah. just to put into context for Adrian, um, he started 13 matches in the Premier League and the Champions League, and he's kept two clean sheets, and he's conceded 25. Um, He's faced 54 shots on target, and he's stopped 29 of them. That leaves him with a save percentage of 53.7%. Um Adrian, sorry, Alison's Al- save percentage in the Premier League last season was 72%. And um, the worst save percentage posted by a starting goalkeeper was Kepper with 54.5%. So 54.5% is still more than Adrian's
1: 53.7.
2: Mm. Um so by those numbers, I mean it's a short sample size, it's not entirely fair because Adrian's a backup keeper, shouldn't really be doing these comparisons and stuff in a way at least. But by those numbers, Adrian's less likely to save a shot than Kepa is. And that that that's that is that is saying something.
1: Um, yeah. You Keppers know Kepper's basically Kepa's basically the floor, isn't he? No, he's the he's the he's the basement. He's as low as he should be going, really. Mm. Um yeah, I mean, it did, obviously, it's worth pointing out then uh, that Pickford's numbers, have, he's around. Um, let's have a quick he look. Was, I think he's he about was,
2: 60... Uh, 63.4.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, I've got 64% here. Um, yeah, so it's since 64%. And well, I, I had a quick look at... Um, I didn't have time to go on FB Ref, but I had a quick look at White Scouts, and it, it reckons over the over the last calendar year um that he, evan had probably conceded around five more goals than they should have as a result of of basically pickford uh and in in, in his inability i guess to to save shots that you would have expected them to save uh mm-hmm. this is based on expected goals so it's it's just not great is it really um because you'd be, you'd be expecting an average keeper we've said this before but you'd be expecting, expecting a, an average keeper in the division to perform roughly in line with the with their XG. you expect the top keepers, you know, like the likes of Alisson, uh, to, to kind of outperform in that area. And then, yeah, if you're underperforming, like Pickford is, then it's just alarm bells and it's been going on for a little while as well. But you know what, Josh? Just quickly before we carry on, it's not even just the numbers that concerns me. It's just the all-round play. It's the it's the kind of the the psyche you see from them when you're out there the well
2: yeah i I think i think both of them suffer from a similar issue probably more so Pickford, to be honest Mm. but i think they both they both have an unwanted trait in a goalkeeper and that trait for me is they're both unpredictable and you you just you just don't want that in your goalkeeper you don't Mm. yeah i think Pickford, especially, is quite extensive um in terms of just just doing stuff that it's just, do, doing stuff that maybe a 10 a year old would do on, on Sunday league just mad stuff that like he can just do because he wants to do it like sometimes mm. you see him just absolutely volley the ball up the field and there's no one there and it's just like it's almost like he's just decided to just hit the ball as hard as he can because he wants to thought <laughs> the thought his thought process just doesn't seem to be particularly thorough mm. and Adzian is a bit is, is similar in that regard. They're both quite mm. unreliable for that reason, really. Mm. Mm. Just for it's a bit awesome. of perspective on, on Pickford's numbers, by the way, Pickford Pickford's 63.4% um, in the league last last season, save percentage. That placed them 19th, um, ahead of only Kepper. So most goalkeepers, in terms of save percentage, you are looking at you know 70 but in and around. 70% is what you want really probably mm-hmm. in a normal case. Pickford's yeah. on 63.4 last season. Adzian short sample size including the Champions League but Adzian's on about 53, 53 and a bit. So both keepers I mean would you go as far as saying like it? I mean I wrote in the newsletter, I think I concluded the newsletter with, with whoever has a better day. <laughs> Will win yeah. the match. I yeah,
1: mean, I do. You go, would you go as far as saying at all? Or... <sighs> um, potentially, yeah. You know, potentially it depends. It depends what what chances are created. You know, how many how many shots side has does. But I think that is put this way. I think it's going to play a massive part. You know, if it, whichever keeper performs best on the day, it could be the deciding factor. We'll have to win and see.
2: Yeah, hopefully not. Hmm. Hopefully, it comes down to the better performing team, but. Yeah, Might just be a lost thing at the end of the day. Um, one other thing I want to switch on is the inclusion of Thiago. Now, I feel like this is relevant because the past few games at Goodison Park, especially, in fact, mainly at Goodison Park, it, it, the, the games have been really have been lacking flow, lacking rhythm. Liverpool have been unable to put the foot on the ball and gain control of their environment, basically. And I think if there's one player in the world that does that for you, it it probably is Thiago. He's never played in the major side there before. There's going to be no fans there. So I think for him to just be deployed in the middle of the park and just kind of, for Klopp to just say, like, you know, get control of the game, I think that's a that's a different weapon than Liverpool, than Liverpool have had in the past few times with went to Goodison. Mm. I just wonder what, what impact that might have. I'm not sure if he's going to start or not, but even just bringing him on. After the hour mark, that's something we haven't had before. I think f- for that to happen in the past, I think we've had to bring on someone like Lalana,
0: who's mm. quite,
2: who's really technically good in small spaces and really 2 footed and all that sort of mm. stuff, but he's not a Tiago in terms of dictate and tempo and, and
1: all that sort of stuff. So I must uh, I must admit, Josh, from an Everton point of view, Tiago really does what like concern me. Um I think yeah, you know, we we spoke about him before. That he's a top top player. Um, you know, I think he offers you two main things, doesn't he? You can you've already touched on under control in terms of possession. You know, he can kind of really get on the ball and pin you in. You know, putting the ball either side. But I think what the what else he has is that kind of penetration from deep as well. That's that's a concern for me because he he can kind of unlock things that maybe other players don't see or. He's the type of player who can punish small openings that other players would normally overlook or ignore um yeah when when i saw Kater was gonna miss the game not that i don't you know don't rate Kater. i think there's a great player in there it's just it hasn't really happened for them consistently yet i thought this probably opens the door for tiago to to come into the side in some form potentially um i guess I guess my only concern from the Liverpool point of view would be you know how up to speed is he yet because he's played 45 minutes he probably hasn't trained that much with the team maybe a week or so because obviously if the bulk of the side would have been away on in international duty over the last 15 days or whatever um but then ancelotti's talked about rodriguez and he said you know these great great players don't need time to adapt you know you you can come in and the truly you know, the best players can just hit the ground runners. And I think Thiago could come under that bracket.
2: Yeah, it will be interesting to consider this lineup because because um, I think Alden will play on the left of the midfield trio. And I think, I mean, Henderson played a, a bit of minutes for England. And mm. I think considering this is a derby and, and what Henderson offers on the leadership side, Klopp usually includes Henderson if he, if, if he can. Um, so then you've got Maybe he's dropping Fabinho to the bench. Maybe he's dropping Fabinho to Joe Gomez's position bench and Joe Gomez.
1: Would you do that, by the way? Because I thought about this week and I thought, although it was such a like kind uh, of question marks over putting them in there, he, he has played well there, hasn't he?
2: He has, yeah. Um, I'm not. I'm really not sure what to do. I haven't thought about it much, but I think I, I would be seriously tempted to play Thiago. Um, Purely because I think in the past few times we've to go, and as I've said with lack of control I think Ancelotti has a bit of he kind of has Klopp's number a little bit on the tactical side Um, we, we tend to struggle against Angelotti Ancelotti teams tactically for some reason and I think maybe taking the emphasis away from the fullbacks in terms of ball progression and adding Adding the dynamic of Thiago in the middle of the pitch would offer something different. Mm-hmm. Um and considering Liverpool lost the last match, you know, losing again would be would be devastating. Um and we kinda need to get back onto winning ways a little bit because I think Liverpool losing against Villa, it does it feels like it's kind of opened the door to the league almost. Mm-hmm. As if to say, like, you know, oh, someone else can step up here or oh, there's there's an opening for, for a team to exploit and I think as a as the holders you want to you want to minimize that as much as you possibly can you want to give opposing sides virtually no hope almost um, and losing losing makes that happen mm. um, and I think having Tiago on the field I, I must be clear he, he is absolutely a ridiculous player and I think he offers something different to what Liverpool's midfield currently has a bit of a cliche saying but it's too Mm. Um, so i I would be tempted to find a way to just to get him in there.
1: Mm. It does feel like what's happened we I feel like a you know, a week or two ago, maybe it might have been just before the Chelsea game when we were trying to predict whether he'd come to the team. We did talk about how the message you could send to players if Thiago just comes straight into the side and can't he can kind of clock dropped plays that he. He trusts, and he's you know played so well for him, got him got Liverpool to the position they are. You know what kind of message would that send? But as you just mentioned there, on the back of such a heavy defeat, it does kind of feel like any tactical decision is is fair game, and no player could really complain. You know if there was any kind of big changes or players were brought into the starting eleven because of well just suffered suffer the heavy defeat. You know, you, you could kind of go in and start bringing in who you want and kind of putting players where where you want to try them. I think it does open that door, definitely, without there being any hurt egos, I guess.
2: Yeah, it, it probably does open the door for us, to be honest. I mean, when you, when you consider Liverpool's high line getting done by Villa, a lot of it did stem from the lack of intensity a little bit from the midfield, um, pressurising the ball player. So... As you say, it would it would give Klopp the option to justifiably drop one of the one of the
1: starting midfielders lately, one of them well, injured. Yeah, just uh, what what's your thoughts on how Thiago would perform without the ball? Because I thought he, he he struggled a little bit for me at Chelsea, but I, I didn't ridicule him at all for that, or you know, judge him for it because it was forty five minutes first game of the season for them uh, in a Liverpool shape. But how do you think he'd adapt? To, to that
2: side of things, um, when you say he struggled against Chelsea, I think he he was just overly eager. I think mm. it's probably the, the way I'd describe it. I think defensively, I think maybe there's a bit of a picture there for him that he's that he's a a passenger. I said this before, and he's, he's really not, he's really active on the defensive side, really hungry player. Um, in terms of being you know, used to Liverpool's defensive system, how we defend, how we behave without the ball. That will take a bit of getting used to. I don't mm. think he'll be up to scratch with that. Um but being over here getting the derby <laughs> is maybe a bit of a bit of a bad bad thing you know I mean That's it.
1: That's what I'm trying because it's such a I assume he comes in as a six, doesn't he? If he does come in. And that is such a um a crucial area the pitch I think without the ball especially. I think with the ball he's He's going to cause big problems for Everton, but i do wonder whether you'd want him to be more adjusted to to liverpool maybe to i i keep i don't want to keep saying you know to the league because as i said i'm not always buying that as a as a thing um but maybe just even even just trained a few more weeks more with the with the with the C, the team and get got, got to used with the with the intricacies of our Liverpool play i just wonder how he'd Perform without the ball, and you know whether that could have been an issue if he does. If he does come in,
2: yeah. I mean, if if he was included, my my first thought would just be, as you said, what he offers with it, as opposed mm. to what he might not offer. Yeah, with you know, without it. Um, but it's an interesting one for club. It's, it's, it's be interesting to see what he does. Mm. It's the big moment, then, Dave. Verdict. <laughs> <laughs>
1: what do you think? <sighs> Honest, I've always—I know—I've always been, know as you know, and um, obviously we've had derbies before on these shows, and I don't think I've had the opportunity to predict an Everton win. Um, I'm inclined, actually, to lean towards a two-all draw. Um, yeah, you know, I was going to just push the boat out so and say I'll go in Everton three-one victory, but the reality is, I—I—I I, 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 I just. I just don't think you can suddenly start overlooking this Liverpool side or expect them to, you know, comfortably get a win. Um, It's it's going to be such a tough game. I think it'll be a competitive game, hopefully. Uh, and I'm going to go 2 0. Finally, get some goals in this fixture. Considering there's only been something yeah. like three in the last six games at Goodison. Yeah, I mean,
2: look at the two goalkeepers, mate. They will be goals. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think my verdict. I'm going to go 2-1 Liverpool. And I know that's very, maybe predictable. But I have seen this team over a few years react to negative results. Mm. I think we have key players back. Still don't have Alisson, of course. I mean, my 2-1 prediction is is providing ASEAN puts in a, a 7 out of 10. Um, but yeah, I just I expect a reaction. And I think when Liverpool are really, really, really focused like we were against Arsenal and Chelsea, teams really, as good as they are, teams really don't get a look in. And I think Liverpool will have that focus about them in this game because of what happened and because it's a derby and because Everton are top of the league. It's just going to, it should refine their focus for 90 minutes. Uh, Mm. And when Liverpool have that focus about them, we do really dominate and pretty much own the pitch. I think Everton have the threats to get out every now and then. And I do think they'll find a net. But, yeah, I, I have a, I have a lot of faith in this team, so <laughs> I'm going to say 2-1. Yeah, um, uh, I was
1: going to say, I'll set up for the draw just to keep the three-point gap, you know. <laughs> Might yeah, be decisive. Well, but...
2: for, for the Blues listening, uh, I was with me playing football with my cousin earlier in the week, and he, he said I'd probably actually take his draw, which is a big statement for Liverpool fans champions league winners, premier league winners, mm. you know, offering insights into how far and everything have come in a short space of time. But anyway, thanks for tuning in and uh,
1: thanks for joining us, Dave, on, on your day off. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm going back to back to doing nothing, I think. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, I, um, I enjoyed that. Yeah, very different. And uh, hopefully we remained objective on both sides. So it was a good enough listen for both uh, Reds and Blues.
2: Yeah, I mean, next week we'll probably split us up the shows again. I don't think this yeah. will be a thing going forward, but for the derby, you know, why not? Maybe we'll do mm. it next time when the second half of the season comes about. But thanks for tuning in and we'll be back next week. Cheers. Cheers.
1: You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.